This is 680 CJOB. I'm Brett McGarry. This week on The Couch Potatoes, I'll take a trip to the dark universe with Tom Cruise with a review of The Mummy. Plus, I'm Jeff Braun. The best show on TV went off the air this week. I'll implore you to watch The Leftovers one last time. Plus, the fifth and final season of the great Canadian show Orphan Black debuts this weekend. So we'll tee that up. First, it's the news from the couch. A teaser trailer came out this week for an upcoming documentary that'll have a lasting impact on a lot of Canadians. I don't know what we were planning. We were making a record. I guess we probably wondered what we would do next. And then, uh, yeah. Brain cancer. Hmm. Yeah. It's a documentary about last year's Tragically Hip Tour, a tour that took on epic historical proportions after singer Gord Downey revealed he had brain cancer and this was almost certainly going to be the band's last hurrah. So that first rehearsal, I'm not sure what to expect. And this like, oh, wow. Because I actually couldn't remember a damn thing. It's hard to tell from the teaser what the documentary will be like. The teaser is simply Gord Downey talking, and there's some concert and rehearsal footage of the band as well. Even still, pretty powerful stuff. I think they were all waiting for me to decide. And I said, yes, I I definitely want to do this. I think if I don't do it, I will be just crushed. I don't want to go out like that. At the end of the teaser, a caption promises more details to come on Canada Day, which is pretty fitting for Canada's band. I want to say thank you face to face to face to everybody. States Drug Enforcement Agency. We are ordering you to land. All right, boys. Let's land. My name is Barry Seal. That's for the damage. For your sister. Hey, little darling. And your bike. Some of this really happened. You never saw me. Tom Cruise has a new movie this weekend, but he already has a trailer out for his next movie. And in that clip, he landed a small plane in a suburban street, got off the plane with a bag full of cocaine, which kind of explodes in his face. He gives a big stack of cash to a child and takes said child's bike. I couldn't find the music they used in the trailer, so I instead went with music from another movie where he's a pilot, Top Gun. It's based on a true story and is called American Made. Top of your class in the Civil Air Patrol, a pilot like you shouldn't be flying buses. Welcome to Miami. Welcome to Bakersfield. Haven't you ever wanted something more, Barry? You should be serving your country. Your CIA. <sighs> it reunites him with director Doug Lyman. They previously worked together on Edge of Tomorrow, aka Live, Die, Repeat. This new film is based on the insane life of Barry Seal, a con man and pilot who gets recruited by the CIA. We need you to deliver stuff for us. Oh, this is legal? If you're doing it for the good guys? 
So he's been recruited for one of the biggest covert operations in the history of the United States, which means he's kind of a big deal. Y'all know that caddies have more trunk space than any other car. I'll get each and every one of you a caddy for your troubles. See, I'm gonna walk out of here. <laughs> I read a damn thing any one of you can do about it. He's free to go. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Boy should have taken a caddy. Because the operation includes a really big shot bad guy. I was working for the CIA, the DEA, and Pablo Escobar. 1,500 kilos. That's 15. 1,500 kilos, barre. In one go. Get it done. So much Pablo Escobar stuff in the last few years. After American Made, Cruz is set to work with Lyman again for Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. Emily Blunt, by the way, set to return as well for that film. American Made, in the meantime, opens September 29th. A third trailer came out this week for this summer's War for the Planet of the Apes. Who is Jeff? I don't know. She was you. This is a weird trailer focusing solely on the little kid that's in the movie, and if you're a true ape head, it'll make sense to you, but if, like me, you aren't, it's a bit of a head-scratcher. Looks like Caesar, Maurice, and the other apes find a little girl who's afraid and alone. Her name is Nova, which means something to fans of the original movie. It didn't to me, but look it up if you want some spoilers. There's nothing else in the trailer, though, besides the Nova stuff. Nothing with the actual war between the monkeys and Woody Harrelson. Like I said, weird. you say eventually you'd replace us that's the law of nature so what would you have done what would caesar do that would fit on a bracelet that was from trailer one a war for the planet of the apes opens july 14th she is one of us I do know that your show is done. Fox has canceled 24 Legacy after just one season, but 24 may yet live in the form of an anthology. 24 Legacy was a resurrection of Fox's real-time format show about terrorism. It ran for eight seasons starting in 2002, starring Kiefer Sutherland as counter-terrorist agent Jack Bauer, who was kind of intense. Get up! Do it! Put your hands up! Let me see your hands! Raise your voice, I will rip your tongue out, are we clear? Right here, right now, you are gonna face justice! Tell me where the device is! So help me God, I will kill you, and you will stay dead this time. Where is it? You are gonna give me the names of the people that you've been working with. I don't have... I want the names! I don't have... I want the names! I don't know any! You think your need to complain is more important than the lives of the people that are counting on us? Go whine somewhere else! Don't waste my time! Give me a name! It was later brought back as a summer event series. 
2024 Live Another Day. And then finally this year, a new crop of characters in 24 Legacy, with straight out of Compton breakout star Corey Hawkins in the lead role as a former military operative who is trying to stop the bad guys. It also starred Miranda Otto, Jimmy Smits, and Gerald McRaney. Carter, where are you? We're blown. This isn't payback. They may be in attack. They're here. There's a situation at CTU. I want you to explain whatever's going on now. They're looking for the list. Activation codes. Killing the Rangers is only the beginning. These codes go out, they launch attacks all over the country. Thousands could die. There's no way to stop these attacks. I'm gonna make this right. Fox invested a lot in the show, debuting it after the Super Bowl this year, and it got big ratings, 17.6 million viewers that night. Ratings dropped every week though, and the finale got a measly 3.3 million viewers. So it got cancelled. Entertainment Weekly says you have to go back to 1995 for the last show to be cancelled the same year it debuted after the Super Bowl. An ABC drama called Extreme. Dude! Farley! We wanted to shred that today, bro. No, no, that would have shredded you. The mountain is unsafe. Oh, but that's what makes it so sweet. And no pain, no gain, amigo. Ow! <laughs> gain this. That scene, in case you couldn't tell, was about two snowboarders who wanted to go down a mountain, but the authorities said no, and then they shot something at the mountain to trigger an avalanche. Anyway, that show starred James Brolin and Julie Bowen, a.k.a. Claire from Modern Family. I have no memory of that show. Do you, Jeff? Nope, not even a little bit. <laughs> like, not a hint at all. So, <laughs> I guess it was like bad. A based on Aspen Extreme, that movie? <laughs> I don't know. As for 24, it isn't dead and gone just yet. When you hang up, for all intents and purposes, Jack Bauer's dead. Last season, he staged his own death to stay alive. Now, what could possibly bring America's most dangerous counter-terrorist agent out of hiding? How'd you get this number? What's going on here, Frank? My name's not Frank. It's Jack Bauer. No, Jack Bauer is not coming back to the show. Instead, Fox plans to work with producers to come up with a new version and a new cast. Like an anthology, which I suppose is what 24 Legacy ended up being. I've got to pull a plug. I need more time. Carter, where are you? 24 Legacy, series premiere after the Super Bowl on Fox. And from the what the file, Kevin James is pulling a wife swap on his CBS sitcom, Kevin Can Wait. Kevin Can Wait is TV's number one new comedy. So I'll just rest in this gully you've carved out. It's like sleeping in a fat canoe. And there's nothing sweeter than success. What does that smell? My candle. It smells like meatloaf. Because it's a meatloaf candle. So get into a comfortable position. What the? Unplug my pants! Unplug my pants! This week, James bounced actress Erin Hayes from the show. She played his wife in season one. She's being replaced by Leah Remini, who played his wife for nine seasons on The King of Queens. I had the job. I could feel it. All I had to do was get through the interview without acting like a mental patient. Well, guess who took care of that for me? Oh, please. I didn't come near her precious interview. I was conducting a private conversation, and she interrupted me. He showed a stranger his ass. 
The top of my ass. She was a cop on Kevin Can Wait last year, and it sounds like Kevin will rejoin the force and work with her, which is weird because season one was a family sitcom where the main set was the kitchen of the house. Now it looks like it'll be a workplace cop deal. I don't know. We'll find out for sure how they retool in the fall. Outside of the two Darrens on Bewitched and second Becky on Roseanne, you don't see this sort of thing too often, and those cases involved one actor, Darren One, who suffered physical problems, had to quit the show, and one actor, Becky One, who had quit to go to college. So this feels like a party foul on the part of Kevin James. Hard to say for sure what goes on behind the scenes, and aside from the money, Aaron Hayes is probably better off not being on The Horribly Unfunny Show. Hungry for laughs? What would make you happier than anything else? Okay, I'm gonna stop you right there. All-American burger. The king of comedy is back. Uh, I'm already two burgers in, and there's really no sign of me slowing down, so I think we're gonna have to Rethink the burger fractions. We don't have time to eat anyway. Oh, thank God, because I ate all of them. Kevin can wait. That is the news from The Couch. Up next, we'll tell you what's coming to home video. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Somebody please get this man a gun. Whoever comes, I'll kill them. I'll kill them all. Of course you will. Welcome back to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett taking a look at what's coming home on video and on TVD and Blu-ray on Tuesday. The best movie of the year so far, Brett. John Wick <laughs> Chapter 2. Love it. I, uh... It's funny how I've just I've noticed that you I, like I remember you didn't watch any of the Fast and Furious movies and yep. I had I went to see Fast Five and then eventually you you got on board with that and yep. now you're like now I'm on the John you're, Wick you like that stuff more and now it's the John Wick train and yeah. uh, there was there was another one that I was really surprised that you got into series um, I think so or just Get Out because it's a scary well no there I thought there was another one but Get Out too yeah yeah I guess what I'm getting is. You're surprising me these last couple of years, Jeff Braun. <laughs> hey, I'm always open for something new, sort of. So, well, John, hey, if you're looking for something new, John Wick, uh, both of the movies, certainly something new. The first one yeah. was uh, was a straight-up revenge action movie, but they it was it had a lot more detail and subtlety in this little, like, kind of hidden universe that you didn't expect. Right. So they expanded that in Chapter 2. Yeah. And, I don't know, but it's the fighting that is the big draw for these movies because it's just insane yeah. what they're doing in them. And that first one's on Netflix. You can check that out. And if you like that, then check out uh, Chapter 2. Um, also, Lego Batman. That's a good movie. I'll watch that this year as well. Oh, okay. That's out on DVD and Blu-ray. A couple of TV things to pass along. South Park Season 20. My goodness. Those animated shows, just you just blink and it's been two decades, you know? Yep. Uh, the complete series for Grimm and the complete series for The Vampire Diaries. Um, coming out on digital HD, a couple of bombs, chips and Power Rangers. Power Rangers surprised me that it did, did so it bomb? poorly. Well, it, it made, yeah. its domestic was $85 million, and its worldwide total $140 million, So it's not terrible, I guess. No, it's not awful, but I, I anticipated bigger things for that, but I guess... The the reviews ultimately weren't all that great, yeah. so that's too bad. So there's that, and uh, over on Netflix, uh, season five of Orange is the New Black is out now. We'll talk about that a little later in the show if we have more time. We're talking some TV stuff. But yeah, so there, there you go. A couple of, I wouldn't, I'm not rushing out to watch Chips anytime soon either. I like a, a good raunch con, but that didn't look that great. Yeah, and it, uh, it was a big flop. $18.6 million domestically for a worldwide total of 25.5. Oh, that's bad. And- 
Baywatch also, by the way, on the subject of old TV shows getting transformed into raunch comedies, that movie not doing all that great either. Leading into this weekend, it was up to forty-five million domestic, which was a that was a surprise for me. In chips, I weeks? understood because I thought Chips was whatever. It looked not yeah, great, yeah, yeah. but I thought Baywatch looked Baywatch looked funny, and it has a great cast led by yeah. Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Zac Efron. Yeah, great A cast, and also a show that more people were familiar with too. For sure. Well, yeah, the, yeah, that's right. Because the people who would be familiar with Chips which was a show in like the 70s and 80s, <laughs> probably have no interest in going to see a raunch comedy yeah, version exactly. of that show. Um, Jan- Zach Efron, by the way, he's he was in that Dirty Grandpa movie. I think he was in another so raunch comedy. Neighbors. That, no, but na- the first Neighbors got decent reviews. The second one, not so much. Right. And then he was in that other one, the but the two guys who need wedding dates. Oh yeah, Mitch and Dave need Mitch and Mike or Dave and Mike need wedding dates. Yeah, whatever it was need wedding dates. It was, I can't remember their names, but it was him and the dude from Modern Family slash Workaholics. Yeah, and that also got poor reviews, I believe. Oh, and he was that in that DJ movie. Was that last year? Or the year oh. before? That was does that thing not still hold the record for worst opening ever or something? Uh, <laughs> it was something like Let's Be Friends. Poor Zach. Doesn't matter what. Poor it's Zach called. Efron. Up next, a review of The Mummy. Ooh. You're listening to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett, he's Jeff, we are the Couch Potatoes, and this weekend, Tom Cruise has opened the door to a new universe. You have no idea what you have unleashed. It's the movie that hopes to unleash Universal's new franchise of films known as the Dark Universe. It's The Mummy. In this version, Tom Cruise and friends discover a hidden Egyptian burial ground where they find a sarcophagus. Inside that sarcophagus, I'll let this lady explain. The hieroglyph said she was named Amunet, chosen to be Egypt's next queen. But her thirst for power led her down a darker path, one that had to be stopped. Because of your actions, this ancient power has returned. After they find the sarcophagus, they load it into a plane. The plane then crashes with Tom Cruise in it, but he survives. There's not a single scratch on your body. You are alive because you were cursed. Cursed? By what? The ultimate evil. Amanette is played by Sofia Boutella, an Algerian actress who has previously starred in Star Trek Beyond and the first Kingsman movie. The film also stars Russell Crowe, a.k.a. Dr. Jekyll, in this film. So that means Mr. Hyde as well. Dr. Jekyll heads up a group called Prodigium. They hunt monsters. And Tom Cruise does all sorts of Mission Impossible-style stunts in this film. And there are lots of shots of him running. she has remade our world into her own she will claim what she has been denied
So after The Mummy, The Dark Universe will have Bride of Frankenstein, starring Javier Bardem as Frankenstein's monster. Its release date is Valentine's Day 2019. There are also plans for an Invisible Man film, starring Johnny Depp, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, Van Helsing, The Wolfman, Phantom of the Opera, and Hunchback of Notre Dame. So they have big hopes for The Mummy, and it is getting terrible reviews. One headline that I read, worst movie of Tom Cruise's career. I will say that I didn't hate it, but I certainly didn't love it. First off, my main takeaway from this film was that it was trying way too hard to set up this dark universe, and they were really overt about it. For example, you know the opening titles for a movie that is distributed by Universal. The music starts to play. Right? So there you, it's a planet Earth. I, li- I like this part. And uh, so then the letters, Universal, come flying around planet Earth. Glorious. The, the yeah. first time I... The fir- it used to be static. The first time the letters came around was for Apollo 13. It was amazing. Yeah. When, yeah. That's right. I remember thinking the same thing. Oh, my God, that's so cool. I love it. I need to look that up again after. Thanks for reminding me of that. So that plays through all the way. And then after that's done, we get a second version. <gasps> Where everything turns dark. Ooh. The music gets dark. And then the letters, <laughs> dark universe, come from flying around planet Earth from, from the other direction. Which, at this point, planet Earth has been completely blackened out because it's dark! Interesting. Right on the nose. <sighs> so that sets the tone for the whole movie. We're launching our own cinematic universe, and this is the movie that's going to set it up. So we meet Dr. Jekyll a.k.a. Mr. Hyde, who leads the mysterious group of monster hunters, and it's clear that they've already seen some stuff in the past and that we're going to see some more stuff in the future from future films. There are hints throughout the film of things to come down the road, and even the ending of the movie does not resolve anything for Tom Cruise's character, instead pointing to more adventure. Now, I don't mind the idea that you're aiming to create a larger world here. I mean, this is a big trend now in all of storytelling, film and television. But first and foremost, in a, if you're making a movie, the movie, I think, should stand on its own merit. If it's good, then it will automatically get people to want more. Perfect example, Iron Man. Great movie, told a self-contained story, with uh, which a uh, simple scene after the credits that pointed to something much larger. People ate it up! And the Marvel Cinematic Universe was born. I suppose then we kind of have Marvel to blame for all this. Yep. Everybody wants their own universe. (laughs) Warner Brothers has the DC Extended Universe, which they mostly screwed up until Wonder Woman. Warner's also has, partnered with Legendary Pictures, the Monsterverse with Godzilla and King Kong. And now Universal has its dark universe, and I'm sure we'll see more. John Wick is sort of a universe, and we may yeah. end up seeing spinoffs And, and other that. stuff, like James Bond is sort of its own thing, and there were, what, nine Harry Potter films, so that was basically a universe. Yeah, but no, no, they're looking to spin off. I think uh, Sony still wants to do Spider-Man-related movies, yeah. like Venom, so, yeah. But uh, complaints of world-building aside, I was entertained, yes, I was, but, and there's a but, One good aspect of the film, it had some really big action scenes with seamless visual effects. I was legit blown away by some of the visuals, which actually had some kind of stuff that we've never really seen before and really simple things like Tom Cruise getting slapped down to the ground really hard, like really hard. And the way that they did it, like it had to be an effect because it just was so brutal. 
but uh, it worked really well, I thought. And I've previously talked about Sophia Butella being an exciting young actress. And she has major screen presence in this. Like, she really just is the... When she's on the screen, you want to look at nothing but her. Sadly, she isn't given enough to do, so I think ultimately her talent is wasted in this movie. Jake Johnson, one of the co-stars, he plays Nick on the Fox sitcom New Girl. So it's weird because Tom Cruise's character is named Nick. So the guy (laughs) that we know as Nick is now calling... Someone else, Nick. I mean, did they really have to call Tom Cruise Nick? Of all the names they could have gone with, they land on Nick. That's funny. Every time uh, Woody Harrelson is not named Woody, it weirds me out. Really? Yeah, because I'm just from Cheers, I guess. Oh, (laughs) fair enough. Also with Jake Johnson's character, whose character, by the way, is named Chris, there ends up being this weird American werewolf in London thing going on. Can't really elaborate, but if you've seen that movie, you will understand if you ever see this one. Anyway, that didn't work for me. Russell Crowe as Jekyll and Hyde just felt like it was kind of thrown in. Well, let's make the head of this organization Jekyll and Hyde, because that would be neat. I guess it ends up being kind of neat, but it doesn't lead anywhere in this film, so it's annoying. I think this movie just ultimately ends up trying way too hard to set up the Dark Universe rather than being a good movie. Like I said, it was entertaining enough, like lots of heart-pounding action, and I would point out I brought a friend and the first thing he said as we were walking out was, well, I really enjoyed that. So, And he doesn't watch nearly as much stuff as I do, as Jeff does. So sometimes I wonder if, you know, maybe we're just turning into crank, old cranks or whatever. But, you know, and I, I enjoyed it too, kind of, I guess, in an empty calories sort of way. Like, tastes good initially, but then you're just disappointed. Sort of how I feel every time I eat movie popcorn. The tone of the movie wasn't campy fun like the 1999 version of The Mummy with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz, but it wasn't scary either. It was just, I I don't even know how to describe it, bland action. I would say passable popcorn entertainment, but ultimately disappointing. So two and a half couch cushions out of five for The Mummy. Ouch. Worst Tom Cruise though? I well, that's tough for me to say because I haven't seen all of Tom Cruise's. I was just films. scrolling through his filmography, and there's a couple of not great movies like uh, Far and Away or Mission Impossible Two. But I don't think he. Actually, I like Mission Impossible Two. I like parts of it, but not a lot of it. I, there's the only the first movie on his entire list that I would say is just an outright garbage movie is 2010's Night and Day, which uh, I've never seen, but by all accounts is oh, just. Oh, is that the action movie with Cameron Diaz? Yeah. Okay. Where he plays Roy. <laughs> I remember the trailer According looking to good. IMDb. I remember the trailer looking good for that, but then I don't recall it getting yeah. good reviews. I don't know. I mean, generally speaking, I like Tom Cruise films. Yeah, he makes good movies. Or if he, if they're not, you know, universally acclaimed, they're interesting movies like Eyes Wide Shut and Vanilla Sky. You know what I mean? He'll try something weird and different, which yeah. is not a lot of actors will do that. Certainly not a lot of A-list actors of his stature. Yeah. Do not get adventurous. Yeah, I don't I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's because this movie didn't quite center around Tom Cruise like his other movies do or I don't know. It it just it didn't work for me. I you know like I said, I enjoyed it for the the 2 hours that I was in the movie theater. It wasn't horrible, but I I wouldn't give it a ringing endorsement like, "Yeah, it's the best thing ever and I can't wait for more Dark Universe." Up next, Jeff's going to tell you about The Dark Show, The Leftovers. Ooh. It has come to a conclusion. You're listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff, he's Brett, and the best show on television finished its three-season run this week, The Leftovers. On the seventh anniversary of the sudden departure, the rains will come, and with them, a great flood. We're 
So this is the last time we're ever gonna see each other, huh? What do you mean? Just the world is ending. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Death is easy. People just want finality. An end to their grief. But with departures, there is no end. I think I'm going crazy. How are you not going crazy? I talk about the leftovers a lot the past couple of years. Uh, this might be the last time. The basic premise, again, was this. The show begins in a small town in upstate New York three years after the sudden departure. That was a freaky phenomenon that saw 2% of the Earth's population, suddenly and without warning, simply vanish into thin air in front of everyone else's eyes. So that was the sci-fi premise, and a lot of weird stuff happens in the show, but it's not really a sci-fi show. Uh, every crazy thing besides the sudden departure can either be seen as having a logical answer uh, with a scientific explanation or being a supernatural or mystic deal. The show was not into explaining itself. You know, was character X really seeing a ghost or just having some sort of psychotic breakdown, that sort of thing. And that was the point. The people who did vanish, um, or who did not vanish, I mean, are trying to bend their world into a place where the sudden departure is an acceptable event instead of something that stole their loved ones and offered no closure. And that could be an awful strain on the mind, body, and soul. The show is about people dealing with their grief, their guilt, their depression. Season one was almost unbearably bleak at time, but then they finessed the tone for seasons two and three. They sort of leaned into the weird, found a better sense of humor about things. Still, though, a very heavy show. It tackled big topics, the topics that, frankly, a lot of people turn their TVs on so they won't have to deal with in real life. Uh, that might explain the low ratings. People aren't into watching that sort of thing. Uh, it had some amazing performances by Carrie Coon, Justin Thoreau, Matt Eccleston, Regina King, Amy Brenneman, many others. And then last Sunday, it had a standout finale. The finale was very The Leftovers and very Damon Lindelof. He's one of the creators. He was also one of the driving forces behind Lost. And that, of course, had a finale that upset a lot of people and actually ultimately drove Lindelof off of Twitter because even six years later, he was still being bullied about the lost ending, had to quit Twitter. That experience very much shines through in the finale for The Leftovers. It did from the beginning of the show, actually. There has never been any indication that any kind of concrete answers would be coming. Uh, the book, written by Tom Parada, does not answer the big question about the sudden departure. The theme song in season two was called Let the Mystery Be. So no one is expecting answers. Interviews I've read with Lindelof this past week show that he was, you know, thinking about answers. Uh, Parada sort of said, well, maybe we shouldn't. And still, in the end result, it was a perfect balance of sort of answering and not answering. Uh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. It won't unless you've seen the show. It's actually unexplainable. Um, it, I can't explain it to keep from spoilers, but it wouldn't even be a spoiler if I said literally what happened, because unless you've seen the show, it just makes no sense. Damon Lindelhoff, though, he got to redeem himself in spectacular fashion, I thought. Not that he had to for me. I like the Lost Finale. Uh, he got to have his cake and eat it, too. He had a perfect ending to a truly great TV show. The Leftovers never had good ratings. We're lucky it was on for three seasons at all. Hopefully down the road, it'll somehow gain a foothold and become a thing that people watch. A lot of people, me included, only watched The Wire after after it ended. A lot of people only watched the rest of development after it ended, so hopefully The Leftovers has a similar fate, but of course nowadays there's so much stuff out there that that's probably just wishful thinking. Once something's in the rear view, it's just gone for life. I mean, Brett, we've got lists of shows we want to see that we know we won't ever get around to. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And the list keeps growing. I mean, yeah. you have been watching this. My friend Mike has been watching this. My dad watches The Leftovers. Yeah. 
all have been harassing me to watching, but I watch 65 shows a year. <laughs> no, <laughs> and I will, and it's, I mean, it's only 28 episodes. That's what I'm going to say. The entire run of this series, only 28 hours. So it's not impossible, but you know, stacked up against everything else. It sort of is. But if you are ever in the market for something truly different, truly affecting and mind blowing, I will always recommend the leftovers. Very good. And also out this weekend. So as the leftovers, we say goodbye to the leftovers. I just want to quickly point out that we say hello to the fifth and final season of the great Canadian-made show, Orphan Black. It is time to be brave. It is time to sacrifice. The fruits of nearly 200 years of Neolution science are within our grasp. And we here shall drink from the fountain first. Orphan Black airs on Space in Canada, BBC America in the United States. The main star, Tatiana Maslany from Regina, plays a whole bunch of different characters, and she won herself an Emmy this year as a result. She plays clones. So so I think there are like four or five main clones, but we're always being introduced to more. It starts off, we meet one of them, and then she bumps into a clone and kind of gets lured into the world and tries to unravel the mystery. I think as the show sort of went from seasons one through to three, it kind of lost its way, but it regained its way in season four. I really enjoyed season four, and I'm looking forward to season five, particularly the fact that this is the last one. So now there's no more kind of aimless wandering. They have their end game in sight. They're going to wrap up the story. I am pumped for it. So that's debuting. It debuts this weekend, Saturday night on Space. So if you're listening to this show on Sunday, it's already played, but Space will rerun it throughout the week. That's all the time we have. I am Brett. He is Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. This is 680 CJOB.